This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 63. Man, 63 episodes plus all the interviews. That's a lot of episodes. That is, Mr. Bain. Um, loose ends from past episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been meaning to throw this in there, but Cincinnati Pizza. Yep. Um, I, I kind of ragged on it in a previous episode. Um, I will say the food truck that was at Laura Phelps's uh, meet uh, last month was good. Yes. I mean, especially for given that it was, you know, quickly prepared food truck pizza. Good. I looked it up. Chester's Pizza in some town next to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. uh, Garbo. Garbo. Is that garbage? Is that what the kids call it? Yeah, that's a, that's an old Elmhurst College term, Garbo. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Uh, also, I found out today after picking up uh, my mother from Rockford. By the way, happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are listening to the, uh, the podcast. Uh, my mother. All like six or seven of you. You know what? There could be a lot more. You never know. Maybe they'll share with their friends. Well, let's see. Of our female listeners, there's Jackie Stone. Um, Not even Nikki Bain, so. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly is Carol Bain listens to the podcast. Excellent. And that's awesome. My mother listens to it. Carol Bain is a saint. Never forget it. But thanks, Mom. Appreciate you. Love you, and happy Mother's Day. I agree. Happy Mother's Day to my mother, who will undoubtedly will not be listening to this. I'd have to show her on her phone actually how to get to podcasts. So you know what you do is you just get a little clip of this once we post it, and you say, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Say, listen, Mom, I gave you a shout-out on the podcast. Yeah. You're famous now. Definitely. Other than that, Mr. Bain, what's going on? Uh, Big announcement, so to speak. I I didn't make any big deal out of this, but uh, I have shut down the Bain uh, spotting and platform managing uh, business, aside from the meets I have already booked for the year, to focus on my own trading. Okay. So that's a half a dozen meets I have booked for the rest of the year, and, and that are it. Sounds that, good. That, that is really the only big news. Stone, what's going on with you? Um, well, speaking of meets, we've got uh, Beginner's Meet 1 coming up mm-hmm. on May 16th, about a week or so from the dropping of this episode. Um, got 35 lifters sold out. Awesome. Um, and it actually sounds, I was alerted today, that we are heading to the bridge. <gasps> Are we going to turn the dial from 4 to 4.6? 4.5, maybe 4.75. Nice. Um, but at least according to what I read um, that was sent to me by the village of Lombard, mm-hmm. um, it sounds like we're going to be able to pretty much open up our meets as is far as Supreme, spectators. Supreme Leader Pritzker is allowing us to have fun? He is. He is. Fantastic. He is. Have you gotten your Fauci Ouchie yet? I have not. Um, I probably will, mm-hmm. but I'm going to wait until after uh, APF Nationals. And, and I, I'm not. In, Why they're not going to test you for it? Well, <laughs> fair, but I don't want any. I don't. I, at this point, I'm only about. And that's my other news. I'm about four or five weeks out from APF Nationals down yeah, in Fort that, Lauderdale. That's a variable you don't want. And I, yeah, I just I can't afford to miss any training at this point. Yeah, so that's a good call. Um, I, and I don't know that I would, but I have heard of some people that have had some reactions. To the vaccine, oh. I think Barzine said he had like a he had like, like two three days, like a golf ball sized, like inflamed yeah. lymph node. So yeah. um, I, I just would you know I don't want to mess with any variables at this point. A month out, so well, I'll tell you when you get back, they're already accepting walk-ins at the uh, the old Kmart down by our place where I got mine at. Yeah, I, I have a couple of spots that it sounds like I could get it from at some so, point. Good to so. go. Awesome. 
Other than that, Mr. Bain, what is... Listen, you fake news. You fake news. So in observing people's behavior over the last few weeks, apparently reading instructions on literally fucking anything is fake news. I mean, I've been saying this for years, Mr. Bain. <laughs> sure, I, I get it, but I want to call it out again because we had a great example during the lead-up to this episode. You know, my esteemed colleague, Eric Stone, decided, hey, let's get as much content as we could for our Ask Us Anything episode this week and reposted the Strength and Anger post saying, Ask Us Anything, Strength and Anger, and then the blurb on the uh, caption with a picture of him and uh, one of our youngest listeners, Ethan. Ethan, shout out to you, my friend. Who actually is a listener. Oh, he there's is. another There's another mother, Stacy. Stacy Mulav. We'll talk about her in a moment. Uh, but people start asking you very specific questions about the meats in Lombard on our Strength and Anger Ask Us Anything. <laughs> they didn't read any fucking instructions, and it just blows my mind. Like, you, you can't read the instructions. So, another example at work, I mentioned earlier before we started recording, we had a fairly contentious meeting with a, with a client today. Last night, we had sent them the slide deck that we were going to be presenting and told them, hey, take a look through this. We gave you some high-level information as well as some very, very detailed slides. Review it. Come up with some questions. And one of the gentlemen on there, who is notoriously difficult for us to work with, explained he was not able to open the slide deck. And I said, interesting. Did you follow the instructions of double clicking on the PDF? Crickets. You're a COO of a nearly billion dollar company. He can't open a, he can't open you, a PDF? He chose not to, but. Oh, so I couldn't get it open meant he didn't get it open. Correct. And so I just, again, can you not read the instructions? Because it was very explicitly listed on there in case anybody tried to pull the, I don't know how to do it. Lazy. Very dumb. Very terrible. So, Stone, what is... Fake news. Fake, fake news. Oh, this fake. is perfect. Yeah, definitely. Um, Calhoun's in Gatlinburg. Um, I recommend not going there. Even though I've actually heard their food is very good, terrible customer service. How bad? Uh, very terrible, very bad. The worst customer service. Trust me, I know bad customer service. I'm very aware of it. This is terrible, very terrible. So a, a big group of us wanted to go out on Saturday after the meet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was about 20. Um, so uh, quite a few people. And so I said to Jackie, look up some places. Talk to Stacy because she's already been to this area, Gatlinburg slash uh, Pigeon Forge. And so she made a couple recommendations. And we finally decided on Calhoun's as like a ribs barbecue place. <laughs> and so Jackie started calling at about 11 a.m. Nobody answers. That's when they supposedly opened. Right. Just rings, 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 rings. I said, you know, I, call back in an hour. Call back in an hour. Went on like like hold, but like no 25 one. 25 minutes, wasn't it? Like yeah. Insane. I mean, she just left her phone on hold and like there was music playing, but she never actually talked to a person. Okay. Hangs up, calls again another hour. Same thing, put on hold. No one, never actually talked to a person, put on hold. And it's like, all right, the meet got over pretty quickly on Saturday because it was just not a ton of lifters and the platform crew is very efficient. Thank you. Um, and so we probably got over there about 3 o'clock, 3.30, mm -hmm. which is pretty early for dinner. That Yeah, that's like Chris Meadows early. <laughs> yeah. So Love you, buddy. <laughs> sunny side up uh, retirement sunny home. <laughs> retirement community. <laughs> Um, uh, and I so, wonder if he has an opinion on that. Yeah, probably. He, he can post. Uh, yeah, Chris Meadows, post what's your unpopular opinion on how to cook eggs? Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so uh, 
let's go back to our story, though. Um, so a couple of the other uh, team members got there early and walked in, and the place was basically empty. And they said, hey, you know, we tried to call earlier. Um, we've got a big group. Is there any way you can find a couple of tables? We know it might be hard to find sure. one table for sure. 20 people, but, you know, can you find a couple of tables next to each other? And the guy apparently is all flustered, say, you should have called. Um, we tried, know, fucker. We should have called. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to scatter you guys all over the place. I have a... Uh, reservation coming in at four o'clock and that's going to mess them up. It's a big place, by the way. And they said, we did try calling starting at 11 o'clock and then again at 1230 and then again at two o'clock, nobody answered. Same response that we've heard similarly in other instances. You can't expect me to answer the phone. We should have called, but you can't expect us to answer the phone. You can't expect me to answer the phone. I'm the only one working here and we have six phone lines. It's like you you are fake news. (laughs) Okay, you fake, you fake news. So, uh, needless to say, we went uh, across the way to the mushroom or whatever the mm, that was another mellow night mushroom. we went to Mellow Mushroom, which was also good. I, I yeah. should leave them a good review. We went to another kind of steak place next door, which was mm. I would say pretty good. Sure, um, not outstanding, but pretty good. And they were able to seat us at some tables. Oh, was but, it the Smith and Sons or whatever it was? Mm, no, uh, I can't think of the name of it. it anyway, it, but nonetheless, Calhoun's very bad customer service. Um, I actually went online and left them a one-star review on Google, which nice. I very, very rarely Did you do. put in the thing I would leave zero stars if I could? I didn't put that. Oh, you should have. <laughs> You're an asshat, seriously. So, anyway. Um, along those same lines, Mr. Bain, uh, APF Nationals, which is where we were in Gatlinburg. Yeah. Um, that's definitely not fake news. No. Um, what were your thoughts on the meet? Uh, uh, overall, great time. Had a, had a blast out in Gatlinburg. Lily and I actually got in super early uh, on Tuesday. So a fun story from the airport so i was not aware of this that rental car companies are very averse to using a debit card when renting a car they are really really big on wanting a credit card so well because i'm sure debit cards can be out of money that's basically what it is like you can have money at the time of the charge but then you can empty the account and they totally don't get paid right to, to me it's no different than i can just go tell my my credit card company hey i didn't charge that take it off and most of them are pretty like good about that of late with you know identity theft and whatnot. So to me, it, it's six, one half dozen, the other, but what, whatever. On the, and I'm not going to name the company right now because I've already left them a couple of really nasty reviews on various social media platforms. On their desk was a thing that said, if you're using a debit card, you need to have two forms of ID and your return flight information. No problem. I carry my passport card and my driver's license with me at all times, and I have my return flight information. I hand it to her, and she immediately hands all my stuff back and says, sorry, we can't rent it to you. Can't use a debit card. I explain... I'm following your policy as listed right here. She walks in the back and she pulls out a printout of their website and it states, no, you, you can't use a debit card here. It says right here on the website. I'm like, I don't care what your website says. You're advertising right here on your desk what the, the policy is. So that supersedes anything on your website that is not available to me right now. Did you take a picture of that? Oh, yeah. Put it in one of my reviews. So then I ask, can I speak to the manager? She walks in the back and this is what, this is what set me off. I very rarely completely lose my temper, especially in public. I did at the airport in Knoxville. She has a p- printed out picture of a man who I assume is her manager. She sets it on the counter and says, you can talk to him here. He doesn't answer calls after 3 o'clock. <laughs> and so I said, listen here, you cunt. You get him on the phone, and you try to figure this out because I've done everything you guys have asked me to do. I'm following your policy. She immediately calls airport security, who shows up with the handcuffs ready to go. And I said, please explain to me how, I mean, you're an officer of the law, right? You're an airport police officer, says right there on the badge. Yes. So this is truth in lending and truth, truth in advertising right here. You are telling me exactly how you're able to rent me this car. 
with my debit card and they're not following it. So I am being oppressed. Please address this. <laughs> they had no idea what to say. It's crickets. So <laughs> while this is all going on, right next to this place, the national car rental lady is observing this whole thing. So I said, fine. Now, and my daughter, of course, is cowering in the corner like, oh, my God, Dad, please stop please this. Please stop. Please, please make stop, this all Dad. go away. <laughs> so embarrassed. So embarrassed. So I get on Expedia. I book national car rental. I turn to her. I said, do I need, do I need anything aside from my debit card and two forms of ID to rent with you? No, sir. Here's the keys. I turned to the lady. I said, you're a horrible cunt. Tell your boss you can suck my dick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Every person, because it's not a big you know, like baggage claim area at the Knoxville airport. And I see all these people turn to me. I said, yes, the manager at car rental can suck my dick. And <laughs> airport security takes a step towards me. And I, again, I'm losing my temper completely. And I said, what are you going to do is have make me mad? These weren't really large humans at all. And like, well, sir, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm taking my car and my child and I'm leaving. So if there's anything else you guys need, I'm happy to discuss with you. But if not, I'm going to leave. You're going to leave. And you're still a cunt. Okay. So, yeah, that was uh, the first story we had from Nationals. Uh, also, uh, Sean Doles jumped out of a moving gondola, and I arm wrestled a guy shirtless. Stone, how was Nationals for you? <laughs> oh, Lily did really good, too. <laughs> uh, wrestle, arm wrestling the guy shirtless was sent to me via video with no commentary. Yeah. Just a video <laughs> of Bane taking off his shirt and defeating a random bartender I was in arm wrestling. I was challenged. Yes. I guess it must have been his shtick, his thing. That, that is what we're told. And supposedly before that evening, he was undefeated. Fake news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fake wrong. news. I need yeah. a, we need a wrong. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely need a wrong. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, there, he, there's no way. There's a, abs- like, here's the thing. He's, he's probably won in arm wrestling before, but he's definitely not undefeated. No, not a chance. And uh, still, like, none of us could get. There's a whole crowd of people. And I get it. I may not be the tallest guy there, but like, why on earth would you pick me as the person you're going to arm wrestle? I just, like, I get it. I've lost a little bit of weight. I haven't lost that much. Anyway. Um, well, I don't have quite as uh, exciting of stories as Mr. Bain does. <laughs> um, the team, Team Stone, did very well. We won, yeah. the, we won the best team award. You did. That was awesome. And so I, was just, I just said, we did. I just shouldn't say you. We. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, yeah, we won the best team award, uh, and it was uh, – Kind of a last-minute entry, forced gym, another local gym, entered. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, well, if they're entered and there's a team trophy, we might as well enter as well. And yeah. so uh, submitted our, our team roster uh, right there at the beginning at Wayans, And, uh, yeah, took, uh, took the team award. I believe all of our lifters took first. I believe so. And, uh, and a Best Lifter Award for Stace Mula. Yeah. Dude, um, she, she did awesome. Like, yeah. seriously. Not, so, not take anything away from anybody else, but Stacy yeah. really did amazing on, on Friday. Yeah, uh, on Friday, um, Mr. Bain handled his daughter, Lily, who did very well. The Lily Bain. The Lily Bain. Um, I handled my wife, Jackie. Mm-hmm. Um, I also handled uh, baby Marissa, yep. high schooler from our team. Baby G. Um, both of them did re- very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie set a master's uh, world record, AWPC record, in the bench. Um, did not necessarily hit any PRs. She would have been close on the bench. Um, you know, did hit a 440 squat, which is about 20 pounds off her best. But she's also 30 pounds lighter than mm-hmm. she was when she hit that PR squat. So Awesome. As she said, you know, that's equivalent higher, of... Higher, higher gloss burner. Yeah, I, we should check the gloss burner on that. Although her deadlift was a little down because she had some low back issues. Um, Marissa did well. She set, uh, I believe, um, the national record in the squat and bench. Um, you know, probably her last, I don't know, but she might do one more APF meet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
She did well. I helped uh, call numbers and watch Jenny and Stacy. Mm-hmm. Jenny had a PR squat and bench. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacy, yeah, her first equipped meet. I mean, they were all PRs, but yeah. it was an entirely new category for her. Putting, what, two, two years off the platform, postpartum, yeah. post-C-section. I po- mean, Post-C-section, awesome. I mean, yeah, did very well in her yep. first equipped debut. Um, squatted 529, benched 340 on a fourth, deadlifted 400. Um, and probably best best celebration award. I caught that uh, you you and her celebrating her last deadlift. I think I'll save that uh, I'll save that picture for when we do a future episode on handling lifters yes. um, leading into a meet and at a meet. Yes. Um, but yeah, she had a great meet. Set uh, the open uh, AWPC record in the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgie not on the gram was on Saturday and had one of the. He had a phenomenal day. Yeah, he had an excellent day. One of the most impressive squats I think I've seen in a while. I mean, as what, far the 30-second stand-up? That was yeah, like, I if mean, a butterfly falls in that bar, he's done. Yeah, squatted 644, yep. you know, benched, finally benched 400, yep. benched 402. I, I got to welcome to the 400 club. That was pretty dope. Um, he set uh, some police and fire records. He did. Um, and then uh, my client, David Burstyn, set mm-hmm. a nice deadlift PR. Um, and had a nice day on Sunday. Uh, he deadlifted 425, mm-hmm. which was a nice PR for him. Samok and Timor, yep. two of our other minions. Yes. Samok had an excellent day. Um, he set all PRs, went mm-hmm. nine for nine, yeah. uh, finally squatted 300, finally deadlifted 400, benched 275. Um, our, our youngest minion, Timor, mm-hmm. uh, was also fighting a little bit of low back we had, issues. We had a little T less that day. Yeah, but, you know, he still set a squat and bench PR. Mm-hmm. Um, he set the American record in the total for the AAPF. And then he, he the, went for a deadlift PR, correct? He was going for a total PR okay, gotcha. um, for the deadlift because um, he really hadn't deadlifted in like a month because yeah. he had having some low back issues. Um, but he, uh, he benched uh, a PR, mm-hmm. 280, and was also an AWPC record for the teenage uh, class, which he aged out of t- two or three days later. Yeah. So nice, that was, nice job, Timor. That was going to be his last opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say overall very proud of the team. Um, very good job. We recruited two or three others. Um, Juline. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Gimmel's uh, disciple mm-hmm. and uh, Marta Peteroyo's disciple. I can't remember the th- uh, the last person we recruited off the top of my head. Um, it was another female. Mm-hmm. I was kind of going around looking for females that you know had some association with us so that we could fill out a roster. But uh, yeah, I, I'd say it was a nice trip. I liked Gatlinburg. I liked Pigeon Forge. I would go back there maybe when the kids are young like this. I think Pigeon Forge is probably a, a good young kid touristy place. Um, we, we went and saw the Dolly Parton Stampede show, nice. which is, if you've ever gone to Medieval Castle, it's almost exactly the same thing, just country and western. Oh, Medieval Times, gotcha. Yes. Um, but yeah, had a good time there. Yeah, we had a good time. We, we actually got to go up to one of the other mountain peaks to one of the observatories and do the big 360 view of the valley. It was, it was really cool. We had a good time. Uh, I know Lily and I did not stay at the Mead Hotel. We stayed at a different hotel. Uh, and our, the views from our balcony were just awesome. Like, that was the best thing to wake up to every day was just sunrise over the mountains every day. It was beautiful. Yeah, if I ever go back, I definitely would want to go, you know, more up into the mountains and such. I yep. mean, we saw some touristy stuff, but... I highly recommend the Park Vista. Okay. Great, I great will, spot. I will uh, keep that in mind. Um, Mr. Bain, let's go on to our hot topic. No, not the store in the mall, which mm-hmm. I actually... They still exist because I walked by it in Yorktown Mall the other day. They do. I, I, we still shop there. Um IPF lifters have to pay a hundred euro fine mm-hmm. if they do not stay in the meat hotel. And this was brought up because 
it was thought they raised that to 150 euros, but apparently that was a, quote, typo. Mm. But the rule is still you have to pay a fine for every night you do not stay at the Meat Hotel if you lift at a IPF World event. Oh, I have a very strong opinion on this. Get fucked. <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. Stone, your thoughts. So I, in some ways, I do understand why they do this. And, and here's the reason why. Um, just a little insight into how meets are run from a contractual standpoint when you run them. And this is why meets are run at hotels. I didn't understand this either, but typically what meet directors do is they will sign a contract with a hotel guaranteeing a certain number of rooms. Sure. And based on those number of rooms, um, there'll be some concessions from the hotel. They will either give you a steep discount on the meeting room space they might give you the meeting room space for free. They might only require that you have a certain food and beverage minimum for the meeting space. Um, and then f they also might include a certain number of comped room nights mm -hmm. for however many rooms. Staff or staff. Yeah, for however many rooms are booked under the room block. And a, a common deal for us is for every 40 room nights booked, we'll get one free sure. staff room night. And here's um, a, a guy I understand all that. Sure, and that's the reason why. Because let's say that you're running a you're running a meet at a a big hotel, and you've yeah. got a, a ten thousand square foot ballroom for your meet. Sure, and let's say that it's a five day meet, and you're guaranteeing, let's say a thousand room nights, which wouldn't be totally out of the realm for no. a five night meet. Not I mean, not a, not a vest. It that might size. even be more than that. I don't know. Um, you know, there's there's large financial uh, incentives. And obligations. And obligations, because if you don't reach your room night quota, not only do you not get the room, you know, maybe the, the meeting room space discounted or comped or, you know, only required a food and beverage minimum, you might have to pay whatever that money of room nights sure. revenue that you guaranteed. I mean, we're talking could be in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And again, totally understand. My, my issue with it is when you basically say, I'm going to fine you unless you stay in my hotel. If you get a shithole hotel, and I'm not saying they do, mm -hmm. I just have a big issue with being forced to stay at a hotel that I didn't choose. And, and, and more often than not, I do stay at meat hotels. Yeah, and a lot of times, from what I'm told, especially in European countries, that is often what happens. Mm -hmm. um, is that I've heard from IPF lifters that often the meat hotels are not very optimal. Now, when you've got, like, the USAPL ran the Raw Nationals at the Westin. Yeah, that's a good um, hotel. That's a nice hotel. It's a nice hotel. We, and we, We've done meets there. Yeah, we've done meets there. And I can tell you that uh, they had so many lifters stay there that they had to recommend other hotels for them because mm -hmm. they ran out of rooms. And so I, I think well, it's the, the irony there would be if those fuckers got fined, too. Yeah. Um, hilarious. I think it's bullshit. And I think that the way you get people to stay at your meat hotel is by having a reasonable room rate, mm -hmm. having it be a nice hotel, and then maybe you provide some kind of incentive. I mean, one of the things we've done is we say, if you stay at the meat hotel, we'll give you a free meat t-shirt. And hey, that's not that much, but you know, you just saved uh, 20 bucks, you saved 20 whatever. bucks. And it's like, hey, if I'm on the margin, it's a bottle thinking, of booze, by the way. Yeah. Thinking if I'm going to stay at the meat hotel or not, oh, I get a free t-shirt. That's kind of nice. Um, you know, there's the convenience of being able to walk down from your room sure. to, to the ballroom. I usually stay at the meat hotel. I, I disagree strongly with finding lifters. I'd say incentivize people. Don't find them. That's yeah. communist bullshit. I, I believe in capitalism. I stay by my statement of get fucked. 
Well, Mr. Bain, let's move on to the Plusa throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. Um, we're going to go back to May 2006. Um, Way back machine. Mr. Bain, what were you doing in May 2006? I was working, man. Like that, that was all I was focused on was just building my career and working at that point. Snow, what were you doing? Um, I thought you were going to say more than that. Wow. No, that's uh, all I was doing. That's quick. Um, I had just gra- I had just graduated from college in mm-hmm. January of 06. Um, took me four and a half years to graduate from college. Um, I had I was just about to start working full time for Velocity, mm-hmm. um, and I was just about to get married in July 2006. So May of 2006 was a particularly that's probably a hectic time for a you. Pretty particularly busy time. Yeah. I when I got out of college in January, um, and it was I graduated mid year because. I had a, a dual degree in exercise science mm-hmm. and physical education, and I did an internship in the summer, and then I did my student teaching in the fall, and that was my extra half year. There's just student teaching, you're really not supposed to take any other classes, so it was just impossible for me to get all my classes in for two majors in, um, even though there's some crossover there in three and a half years, um, especially since I transferred uh, my freshman year. Ah. So... I graduated in January. I worked as a long-term sub um, mm-hmm. at one of the schools that I student taught at for about two months. And then I got a job at a health club in Buffalo Grove, Ooh. Um, which was not a good job. Very terrible job. Very um, bad. Very terrible. Yeah. And I was working there at like 4.30 in the morning some days. You. And then I was working at Velocity until 9 o'clock at night. Big you. And I, from each of those places, I lived with my parents about an hour away from each of them. Um, Yikes. So, yeah, stressful would be an understatement at that time. Sounds like it. Um, 2006, top movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Yarr. Dead Man's Chest. I don't know if that's the first or second one. I don't think uh, No, Curse of Black Pearls first one. Okay, I've, never, I've not seen any of them. Phenomenal films. Uh, Cars, which mm-hmm. I have seen since Beep. I have children. Yep. X-Men, The Last Stand. Great flick. The Da Vinci Code. Eh. And Superman Returns. Terrible. What? Oh, whoa, whoa, Terrible. Fucking terrible. You don't like the Superman movie? No, I like Superman movies. I don't like this one. Brandon Routh's fucking terrible. He's a, one of the worst actors I've ever fucking seen. And on top of that, he's from Iowa, and so like there was so much hope in Iowa when he got cast as Superman, and he shit the fucking bed. Okay. Well, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I just didn't think it was terrible. Terrible, very bad. Uh, top TV shows. Um, American Idol was number one and two, the Tuesday and Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, versions of it. Uh, Crime Scene Investigation, CSI, mm-hmm. Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, and that would be your top five. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of any one of these shows. Um, I've definitely watched CSI. I like CSI. Yeah. Um, my wife, I've seen like in the background Grey's Anatomy because mm-hmm. she's gone back and like during COVID watched, I think, like all the seasons of Grey's Anatomy. Are there like 74 seasons of it? There's a lot, but yeah. hey, there's a lot of time during COVID. That's not right. Um, I probably have never sat down and watched a full episode of American Idol. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen an episode or even part of an episode of Desperate Housewives. Yeah, never seen it. But I have seen every one of those movies. Yeah. Um, I've seen only Cars of those. Interesting. Oh, I've seen Superman Returns, yes. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, you don't remember how bad it was. Uh, Yeah. Uh, on the cover of this May 2006 issue is the Bench Monster, Ryan Canelli. Um, there he is with his Inzer Advanced Design shirt and singlet. Mm-hmm. Um, his singlet. Best, we, we've talked uh, talked about him a couple times. Yeah. Um, he his best lift all time was a thousand seventy five bench. Is that um, a slinger shirt or no? 
Oh, no, that wasn't a, a traditional in, multiply in shirt. An actual shirt? Yeah, he tried. He was going to try in the Slanger shirt, and then he got injured, so I don't believe he competed at that IPA uh, Slanger shirt nationals. Mm. Um, he was the first man to officially bench 800 in 2002. Which we've talked about on previous episodes. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, yep, and there was a quote article um, basically hyping his Road to the Arnold DVD that mm. Sean Catterley produced. Um the entire, quote, article, which was basically just an advertisement, was written in all caps. They were yelling. Yeah, I mean, Sean Catterley, like, just... And actually, I think that I would... Does anybody have that DVD out there, uh, you know, at us or send us a DM? I actually think the DVD would be interesting to watch just because I, I like Ryan Canelli as a lifter. Um, it would be interesting to, to see it. But anything with Sean Catterley is, is very suspect in my mind. Yikes. Um, there was a blurb on T.J. Horner mm-hmm. um, breaking the all-time world record squat at the time of 8.04 at 148. Holy fuck. And that was at the 2006 APF Texas State. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, he kind of bo- he was one of the few. He bounced between the APF WPO and the USAPL IPF. And, How uh, was that allowed? I, I don't know because he last competed in the 07 IPF Worlds. Looked like he took sixth place. Interesting. So he was allowed to compete WPO, APF, and also uh, compete in or APF, WPO, and then also allowed to compete in IPF Worlds. Interesting. Um, there was an article by Dr. Larry Miller, who mm-hmm. we talked about last week yep. or the week before um, on our USAPL episode. Um, he uh, visited the rubber band man, Dick Hartzell, mm. and the article was titled More with Bands. Bands. He had a lot of different band exercises that uh, he was doing. He, he trained some athletes and some powerlifters. Um, Dr. Larry Miller, you know, big bencher. Um, Dick Hartzell was based out of Youngstown, Ohio. Um, he had like a training center when he had rubber band classes, and that's literally all they did was just band work. Hmm. He had a bunch of like, uh, like pipes on the walls with bands hooked up and did all kinds of different band things. Interesting. Um, the classes involved 20 minutes of ballistic stretching, 10 minutes of cardio, five minutes of ab work, and then the rest was all band-based resistance-type work. Um, Hartzell was a big believer in ballistic stretching, which kind of goes against the the usual, like, don't bounce your stretching, but Mm -hmm. that's one of Dick Hartzell's things. Um, He has one book that I know of uh, called Don't Ice That Ankle Hmm. and would be an interesting book if we could find it because uh, when I've I've looked it up – if you want to find a copy, I think someone was selling it on Amazon for like four to five hundred dollars. Get fucked because it's so rare. Shit, um, wrong. And Donnie Thompson uses a bunch of old Hartzell stuff that he got from him. Mm-hmm. If you watch Donnie Thompson's his various band traction stuff, he usually gives credit. Almost all of it came from Dick Hartzell or came from variations from Dick Hartzell. Mm-hmm. Um, Louis Simmons got you know he started using bands after talking to Dick Hartzell. And getting his bands from jump, tra- uh, jump stretch. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Dick Hartzell is a guy that's kind of like this mythical band, you know, guru that like a lot of the people who use bands give credit to. But he's not a guy that there's that much out there on. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a couple small little internet videos. If you do a search, you can find one of him at a at a seminar jumping on a table and breaking it, jumping on the side of his foot to show the strength of his ankle. Yikes. Um, he was a big believer in the, the band uh, compression and traction. You know, he was supposedly was like, you know, if a high school kid around him would spread an ankle, he'd like immediately go in and traction and compress the ankle and, you know, wouldn't ice it. Hence the book, mm-hmm. Don't Ice That Ankle. Um, there was an article by Dr. Judd 
who I purposely avoid his articles because I don't like him. He is your typical like purist. Yeah, he is. When it comes to powerlifting, um, like you know, he would be a big fan of the USAPL and IPF and you know gold standard lifting mm-hmm. and you know single plier raw lifting. Um, and he had an article in Powerlifting USA in 2006. Quote. Older women, younger men, a male's point of view. Wait, what? And he proceeded to have an entire two-page article on dating older women and why that's a good idea. Here's a quote from it. Quote, a relationship with an older woman can be less of a hindrance and more of an enjoyment. I can, Unquote. I can think of a prime example where that's not the case, but I won't share that on the show. What in the actual fuck? I'm saying, like, what? Why what? is this in here? Why is this in powerlifting? USA? it has nothing to do with powerlifting. Why the fuck is Dr. Judd writing about this? He's not a young guy, by the way, at this point. Like, I, I'm, I was like, as I just looked over the article, I'm like, what in the fuck is actually going on? Why is this in a powerlifting USA? Now, l- I mean, for, probably for the same reason, a lot of like really random posts from that multiplied group on Facebook, like. Well, to be fair, like, Powerlifting USA is looking for content. And I almost guarantee Dr. Judd was not paid for his column. He did write a monthly column, just like I'm sure that Louis Simmons was not paid. He was maybe given some free advertising space. Yeah, but at least Louis, like, it makes sense that he's in there. Even if he's fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Judd's articles were bad, and this is, like, ranks up there as maybe one of the worst. A relationship with an older woman can be less of a hindrance and more of an enjoyment. I mean, what the fuck? Like, who... Who the fuck cares? And why is this in Powerlifting exactly. USA? Exactly. Like, oh my gosh. How much does this add to the total? That's what I want to know. I, I mean, if you're if you have a relationship, it probably helps your total if your testosterone goes up. But you know, whatever. Oh, you're um, losing some. Every, uh, never mind. Uh, but in the long term, Mr. Bain. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, we that would be an interesting one to. We we should go through like maybe training myths, like you know, women make the knees weak. And oh God. Don't have sex. You know. Uh, you know, before, like, there's been some... I, I have a very funny story from the first time I heard that, too. There, there have been some actual studies into, like, performance being impacted on when you have sex. Yeah. Uh, that would be... A, the training myths, because you couldn't do a whole episode about that, but training myths would be interesting. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to Women Teen sure, sure Masters Top 20 list. Mm-hmm. Um, the Top 20 list, there's a picture of Julie Leduski, who is now... Julia Anto. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a top squat at 132 at this time of 457. Um, that is an impressive squat. This yeah. is back in the 05, 06 era. The next closest person is Margaret Kirkland with 418, and then it drops to 381. That's how far ahead Julia Leduski was. Oh, she's um, a stud, so. Jen Thompson, famous bencher, has a 286 bench at 132, um, and Leduski is, again, way above on the total with uh, 1102. Um, ahead of C. Nagel. This print is very bad, so mm-hmm. it's hard to tell. But the next closest totals are 1041, Jen Thompson, 1003, Margaret Kirkland, 997. So Leduski just way ahead in the 132s. Speaking of Jen Thompson, did you see some jackass comment on a uh, post that was made of her? I did not. I do follow her on social media. She, but. So I, I think it was on originally her post, but she was benching like 225 and did it for like a – I want to say like 13 or 14 reps. I mean, she's just a strong-ass bencher. She is. She's a strong person, but especially a strong bencher. The comment was 45 plus 45 plus 45 equals 180. You know there's a fucking bar in there too, dude. Yikes. Just unfucking real I mean, there's an old saying that, you know, it's better to keep your mouth shut and make people assume that you're dumb rather than open your mouth. And and, prove it. And prove it. 
that would that would fit there. Or you can use your thumbs and prove you're stupid. Like I, I just right. I, I'm reading this and I'm like, is it an anti gravity bar? Like where do I get those? Like how can I add that to my total Smith machine? Yeah, ah, gotcha. Uh, our friend uh, Cosette Neely hey. is top of the 97 pound bench, and maybe she. I did not. I I'm looking carefully here. She might have been because I know she used to be a, a wobble lifter, mm-hmm. uh, benchers and deadlifters. It's possible that back in this era she was more of a bencher, bencher, deadlifter because I do not see her in the bencher deadlift. It's hard because this print is it's a kind of a bad copy, but mm-hmm. I see her at the top of the ninety-seven pound bench with a two fourteen pound bench. Um, and what did she she cut down to ninety-seven and did what recently? Uh, f- a four hundred pound squat. I want to say it was a three and change bench. Yeah, I, three sounds correct to me, like three fourteen. And then so. it was like a close to four. I mean, it was, it was eleven times body weight total, right? right. And so back, uh, you know, sixteen years ago, she was benching two fourteen, and probably in gear as well. Fucking stud, um, Margaret Kirkland, who we've talked about quite a bit. Um, she's topped the one fourteen squat with four oh two, and in the one twenty threes, she did four fifty one. And, uh, you know, she also did 418 in the 132s. But, man, that, that, that 402 at 114 and then 451 at 123, that is impressive. Yeah. Uh, Amy Wasberger, she <laughs> is top of the 148 squat with a 567 squat. Wow. Right above Priscilla Ribrick with a 523 squat. Um, Kara Bohegan, top of the 148 bench with 380. Amy Weisberger just behind her at 355. Priscilla Ribic with 341. Priscilla Ribic, uh, exec, one of the executives in the USAPL, top of the 148 deadlift with 523. And Amy Weisberger with a 1,400 pound total at 148. Um, she's top just above Priscilla Ribic with 1366. Nice. Our pal, Laura Phelps, with a 683 squat at 165. And if I'm not mistaken, was that her first meet or her second meet? I, think I mean, second was her, her first one was your your meet. No, that was her second meet or her third meet. That was one. That was definitely not her first meet. Okay. Um, but yeah, six eighty three squat. Oh, this this might have been her third meet because I think she did the 05 summer bash and this was uh, October of 05. So mm. this might have been like her third ish meet. But yeah, in about two or three meets, Laura Phelps has topped the one sixty five squats. And top the total with fifteen oh four. I mean, she she's she's special. That's uh, all I can say. And uh, Becca Swanson, of course, on top of the squat with eight fifty four. Wow. Um, and I don't know if that was her top squat ever, but it was one of her highest ones. I believe it was because that's the one that Leah beat with her eight sixty. Yeah, I mean, uh, eight fifty four back in 05, Becca Swanson and a five thirty bench, a six ninety four deadlift, and a yeah, this was probably her top and uh, two thousand fifty total. So those were some of the – now, I know Becca went on to bench 600. At, I th- yeah, I at, think she had a 2055 total was her best total ever. Okay. So she went on to bench 600 and bench only meet, but mm-hmm. a 2,000 total. I mean, and the next closest person, O'Donnell, is 1410. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> think know, about this. How, people have been chasing Becca for 20-plus years. I, I, again, fathom that. She's the top of the total with 2,050. The next closest person Six. is not within 600 pounds. That's how far ahead Becca Swanson was. And take all the the things you're thinking in your head out of it, because, like, yes, she probably wasn't lifting, say, USAPL, AAPF. Who cares? But that's not different from many of the others on the list either. Yeah, but she, I mean, it takes nothing away from the fact that she is one of the strongest women of all time. No doubt. 
the teenage top 20, uh, some interesting names in here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 165 squat, down about, we'll say about six or seven, 545 squat was our buddy Daniel Tina Harrow. Hey. And he's also top of the total with 1421 nice. at 165 back in uh, November of 05. Um, Jason Coker with a 600 squat of oh, 181. Um, he was definitely not at Westside at that point. No. And, and oh, excuse me, yeah, the one eighty one, and he was top of the total of fifteen fifteen. And Jim Benson, another guy who I think we know of, he's top the one ninety eight with a seven oh five squat and top of the total with seventeen fifty seven. So I didn't really know any other names in there, but those are ones that uh, you know I think are still Coker not as not as active, but those are some guys that are still active today. Yeah. Um. In the Masters Top 20, there's a picture of my buddy, Rudy Rudiger, with Ernie Franz Rudy, getting Rudy. his Lifetime Achievement Award, I believe, at the 05 Illinois State Meet, mm-hmm. uh, which I lifted at at uh, the third floor Franz Gym. Um, and Tony Conyers, top of the 165 squats with 854. The wow. next closest guy is a 600 squat. And Tony Conyers also with a 2022 total. Next closest guy, 1493. Uh, wow. Rudy Rudiger was, uh, looks like about five or six in the squat with 611 at 181. Um, a guy we've talked about a couple times, Tom Eisman, wobble lifter, 744 squat at 181. Uh, we've got Gene Bell, top of the 198 squat with 810, and top of the total with 2061. Um, so th- those are some some top lifters in general, mm-hmm. let alone doing them as masters lifters. Yeah. Uh, we also had an article by Buddy McKee on the 2005 WPC Worlds, which Team USA was the winners. And he had a nice article, very in-depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a picture of our buddy Dick Zenzen, who was there competing. There's hey. like a pretty, pretty sizable U.S. team there in Helsinki, Finland in 05 nice. um, from the U.S., um, I would love to go to Finland. I hear they they put on very good meets. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Finland, Portugal, any any of those. Yeah, I'm sure that they will probably have some uh, another WPC Worlds in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I heard when I think it was Portugal in maybe '07. I want to say because mm-hmm. um, I know that uh, a couple local lifters went there and said it was really great, including Dick Zenzen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, question is. A team competition, something that should be emphasized more, done more in powerlifting. Well, that's what the World Cup is for, isn't it? Like the, the powerlifting World Cup, the one they usually have in Idaho Falls. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know that that's true. I, that's my understanding is that is more of a team-focused. Even though there are individual awards, it is a team-focused okay. competition. I, I'm just speaking more generally. Uh, I mean, I, I like the concept of it because at least, uh, especially for world meets, but even local ones, like I think that, that does help build uh, – you know, the gyms around the area more because you're looking to add people to, you know, weight classes and to, uh, you know, fill out rosters. I think that'd be really cool to to see more of that. Yeah. No, it, it's something we we had done at local meets before. Um, it just seemed like it kind of got out of uh, favor because it, it seems like with the new era of powerlifting, mm-hmm. there doesn't seem to be as many teams. You know, there definitely are some gyms, but it seems like a lot more individuals. Yeah. Um, but maybe something to bring back can't, around. Can't have the whole team on the Insta. Sure. Um, there was a full-page ad for the IPF and APF, and NAPF is North American Powerlifting Federation, mm-hmm. um, associated with the IPF. Uh, regionals mm-hmm. being co-run by Robert Keller, the general secretary of the NAPF. Good for you, Bob. 
So just just interesting. Robert Keller, I mean, that's how quick of a turnaround is that? And in 97, he's getting kicked out of IPF uh, General Assembly meetings mm-hmm. and roll around to 0506, and he's the general secretary of the NAPF. Must have kissed the ring. Pretty, uh, pretty good political maneuvering there, Mr. Keller. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Bain, let's move on to the topics at hand yeah, for the day. Yeah, we got all kinds of fun stuff. Um, we've got an Ask Us Anything, and we've got uh, a whole plethora of questions here from various sources. Yeah, we had, we had to pare some of these down because some, let's be honest, were kind of bullshit questions, but there, there's some pretty solid stuff in here. Yeah, um, and we've got some just from email and whatever that I got, and then some, obviously, from the gram. Mm-hmm. So Calvin from Glen Ellen asks... Do you think technology will ever be incorporated into judging at powerlifting, such as challenges and instant replay? And then, of course, Calvin can't ask any question in a short fashion, so it was like 20 text messages, so I'm (laughs) paraphrasing. Uh, That's not an exaggeration either. Um, He mentions, you know, like placing sensors on the body for squat depth as an example. I mean, I would love to see something like that. I think that's that's an interesting concept. I just don't think it's ever going to happen just from an expense perspective. Yeah, I, I think the only way you'd ever see that is if there was any actual money in powerlifting. But then at the same time, I mean, there's almost unlimited money in baseball, and they still don't do strike zone with right. technology. You know, to be fair, they do some instant replay in you know football, and I think a little bit in baseball, um, definitely in basketball. Here's I, the I've talked about this with like having VAR for like you know website records as you as you've called them, and I kind of like that term. Um, if something is deemed an all-time world record, I would love to see a little VAR on that. Yeah, I, I guess my only thing is that, like, uh, you'd need the right angles, A, which, again, right. if there's money, you can do it. Um, and I don't like instant replay just from the, the, the pace of the meat perspective. Now, sure. the IPF already has this system, not with videos, but they do have a jury, mm-hmm. and you can take a challenge, essentially, to the jury, even, I think, an opposing coach can go and challenge a lift, and if there's a unanimous decision by the jury, they can overturn it. Um, so I could see in that type of system, you know, the jury having certain camera views, and, and you know, maybe again, this is this is presupposing that there is lots of money in powerlifting right. that could have all this technology available. So could it be? Yes. Will it ever be at you know local meets? No. Yeah. That, that's uh, impractical. Completely. Um, Dan, so, oh yeah, why don't we alternate we'll, on and off? We'll alternate back and forth. So, Dan Neely asks: Is anyone willing to put together a more comprehensive slash definitive list of all time lifts than the self gratifying lists open powerlifting runs? Also, a quote: Michael Soong had it right. Rest in peace, Michael Soong. Yeah, and he says that open powerlifting has specifically told him that they will not do it. And I don't know what he means by it. Yeah. Maybe that's a question for Dan that I should ask him. Depends on what your definition of it is. Right. Yeah, Michael Soong's list was just all-time world records, regardless mm-hmm. of federation, equipment, whatever. Now, he did then eventually start putting together all-time at least some raw lists, like over 600-pound raw lifts yep. and, and things like that. Um, so he probably, had he still been alive, would have started to get into that as well. But I guess it depends on what you mean by that. I mean, I, I guess I don't know why open powerlifting couldn't do something like that because I, it, they do have all-time rankings. Mm-hmm. And what I – and I know that Jem, who is one of the people that at least adds uh, li- uh, lifts and competitions to open powerlifting, uh, maybe could shed some light on. Um, you know, right now, if you search for all-time lists, it's, you can only do raw or raw with wraps – or mm-hmm. single ply or multiply. I right. would suggest that as you go up on each level, it should be 
only raw. Raw with wraps and raw. Single ply, raw with wraps and raw. Mm-hmm. Multiply, single ply, raw with wraps and raw. So that even in the multiply lift, if somebody who's raw or single ply is, you know, one of the top Squ- lifters squats on 1350 that, or whatever. Right. Is one of the top lifters on that list. They should still be listed there. It should be up to and including that category. And so if they did that, and that to me, that would be a simple database configuration. Now, again, easier said than done, but I think they sh- it should be. I mean, all the data is there. The, at the end of the day, it's a spreadsheet. That's all it is, and it can't right. be manipulated to to show what Dayan is asking for. I believe so. So I, I I would think even though it sounds like he maybe has talked open powerlifting and they maybe they have said we're not going to do that, um, I, they're probably the best resource to do so unless there's another you know person like Michael Soong that wants to take their free time doing it because right now open powerlifting is the source that is getting and has all that data. I mean, they've gone back and gotten data from old Powerlift USAs. And mm-hmm. so it, it would be difficult for somebody else to start from scratch unless they maybe worked with open powerlifting. Agreed. Um, I mean, because there's a just, I mean, literally Michael Soong just went through like websites and Powerlift USAs and did all that stuff on his he own. He's research. He's looked for it. Right. I mean, and I would, I would send stuff to him and then sometimes he would say like, hey, can you send it to me in this format or, Hey, can you mm-hmm. add this? And then I would do that. But at the end of the day, Michael Soon did a lot of fucking work. Uh, go back, listen to the archives. If you yeah. want to know who Michael Soon is and what the all-time world record list. What would be the best thing is if somehow his work could be transferred to open powerlifting. I, I don't believe his family looking to do in that, but I don't know. Well, but the problem is it's already out of date. Uh, correct. So, but I think he has probably a better historical archive versus what they had or have. And it would just be, it would allow a more comprehensive all-time list. And then if you have the extra filter of, as you said, regardless of equipment, what's the biggest squat, as an example, then it's all there. I think that would probably be the best way of doing it is just to say if we're we're talking about the all-time, you know, multiply lifts, if somebody didn't single-ply or raw or raw with reps, that should be included on there. And that's the way these old top 20 lists were. Again, we talked about how, you know, we had Amy Weisberger and the next person was Priscilla Ribrick on the open powerlifting lists right now they would not be on the same list because Amy would be listed as multiply mm-hmm. and Priscilla would be listed as single ply. Right. Um, so anyways, uh, Dan Oberman says, Dan O'Bell. Yeah. What are your thoughts on a lifetime membership? <laughs> is this something the APF might consider? What would be the benefits to the APF and or lifters? Um, this is something the USAPL offered recently. I would say somewhat controversially and not that people cared that someone wants to buy a lifetime membership. I think it was more something where they said people that bought lifetime memberships would have preferential entry into USAPL nationals. Yes, which caused a lot of issues with people. Yeah, and I would probably say, you know, things probably should be based on merit rather than, you know, purchasing power. It's all um, about the money, baby. I know that the SPF offers a lifetime membership for like 250 bucks. The USAPL had a That's very way overpriced. Had a way complicated formula of like the younger you were, the more expensive it was. Dude, and it was like, fuck you money, too. It was like $3,000 if you were like 20 and under. Sure. I, I mean, I'm sure what they're doing is they're saying 60 times the number of possible years you might still be alive and competing. Sure, sure, sure. sure I'd sure, like sure. to know that the kid like Timor's age that went to their parents like, uh, can we buy me a lifetime USAPL membership for $1,850? Yeah. I would say, no. Listen, you're being rude. You're fake, you're fake news. 
I would say I doubt the APF would do that. I mean, I'm, I am on the executive board. I wouldn't suggest it, and, and here's why. Um, the only reason you might do that would be if there's some reason the APF or any organization needed cash in hand because mm -hmm. they were trying to make some kind of capital investment, whatever that would be. Maybe they're – Or if you're trying to leave the IPF. <laughs> right. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. Yeah. Maybe if you have some <clears throat> type of thing you want to make some kind of big capital investment like the APF want to invest in, I don't know, whatever it would be, and you needed some cash in hand mm -hmm. um, and you wanted to get that cash up front, so that would be the advantage of the APF. Obviously, the lifter is the advantage. You don't have to renew every year. Um, and it, as a matter of fact, there are APF lifetime memberships. The first group of people that earned memberships, and they didn't pay for them, like Mary Sternberg had a lifetime membership. Ernie Franz had a lifetime membership. So the founding members mm -hmm. have or had, if they've passed away, lifetime memberships. Right. Um, I guess that would be the advantage to lifters. As far as the APF was concerned, uh, you know, I guess you've got people locked in then, but it's kind of like annual memberships with gym versus monthly memberships. Uh, you know, we mostly do monthly memberships because we'd rather have that monthly annuity coming in rather mm -hmm. than the cash up front. But if you, as a business or as an organization, if you needed cash up front for some reason, usually if you want to invest it in something or if you just want cash in your pocket, I guess, um, I guess that might be why you would do it. But I, I I would say I doubt the APF would do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the overall benefit is there for both for both sides. Like uh, to your point, yeah, great. You can pay one time and you've got a membership, but I, I just don't think it's there's that much benefit for anybody. Sure. It, the only way lifters would do it is if there was a a significant discount right. thereof, and or if there's somehow a discount to meets by having a lifetime membership. Right. And I don't think the APF would do that because right. basically the meet directors are independent contractors, and I don't know if they would honor that kind of discount. Agreed. At Ryan Hampshire asks, if AWPC doesn't get a full roster with national qualifiers, do you think it will be opened up to local meet top finishers? There's actually something in the rule book about this. Well, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's in the rule book per se, but I mean, so I get this question a lot, and that's why I put it in there, even though it maybe wasn't exactly what we were looking for. But that's fine. We did say ask us anything. Yeah. Um, the short answer is no. Uh, the long answer is to get to AWPC World, you needed to place top three at nationals. Now, our, I think this year they actually did top five. Mm -hmm. If top three or five or whatever it is don't qualify at nationals, then they might open it up to individuals whom in the past it, you've had to have previously competed at a Worlds, at an AWPC Worlds. So if you've never been to Worlds, or if you've never, especially if you've never been to nationals, I would say it's doubtful they will fill with just local meat lifters because there's, you know, Otherwise, why have nationals? Yeah. It, you know, I mean, again, I, I would say the, the only year for special treatment probably would have been last year. Yeah. And even then, I it think it didn't happen. It, it, no, I think last year, Amy allowed people that had done national meets. Previously, I believe you had to have done a world meet to get an quote alternate spot. So, I, I mean, I guess if we open that Pandora's box in general, then lifters would just skip nationals and go to worlds, mm -hmm. would, be the, would be the problem and why we as the APF typically don't allow that. Gotcha. Um, at Mike P lifts one says any possible thought of restructuring meets to those that do full power can also take advantage of th single lift competitions. And then he has this a long explanation of splitting days via weight classes mm -hmm. and combining um, full power and bench only. Um, sure. I mean, I, we've run meets in many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, the reason we run the meets the way we do right now is basically to 
socially distance people. I mean, right. to, 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 to keep it short, um, we're as, not doing... As Supreme Leader Prisker has decreed. Yeah, we don't do two platform meets right now, at Yet. least. And at some point, I hope we could, at least to some degree. Um, but the reason, like, we do bench-only, deadlift-only on Friday night is because it doesn't take as long. Most lifters that do bench-only or bench-only, deadlift-only do not also want to lift in full power. There's a extreme minority of lifters. Like, there's maybe one or two in every meet that even ask about that. And maybe mm-hmm. there would be more if it was available. Um, but I'd say I probably wouldn't because it's a minority of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to serve multiple masters and – to be honest with you, most bench-only lifters like it when they're in their separate session or separate day mm-hmm. because it's shorter, and then they don't have to wait till the end of meet to get the rewards. Right. Um, that's been my experience with bench-only lifters. Uh, and I would probably – I have done this before, but I would probably never split days via weight classes again because then what happens if somebody doesn't make weight? Yeah. So let's say you split it up to 220 on day one and 220 above on day two or whatever you, whatever you think the breakup would be, you know, up to 198 day one – one nine two twenty and above on day two. Well, what if that, I th- that would make more sense? All those guys under two hundred pounds gotta get their shift at Express in. Sure. So what if I wanted to lift one ninety eight <laughs> and I come to weigh in on Friday and, I'm and one, I two oh one and I'm and I don't make weight. I don't get the lift. So that's and I've seen actually the reverse where people have done heavyweights first and then lightweights. Well then what if I do I don't make weight to one ninety eight and I'm supposed to lift on Sunday? Well my lift has already happened. Yep. So that's why I probably would never so- well, so I, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. Yeah, I would probably never split days via weight classes for that specific reason. Gotcha. So Aggie09TX asks, if the APF had to either adopt a 45-pound stiff bar for each lift or include an unlimited division, which would you choose? We'll start with me. Uh, I would say I would choose the unlimited because I do not like 45-pound bars for all three lifts. But I think you may have some strong opinions on this as well, Stone. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with you, even though I really don't like the idea of another fucking division. Yeah. Um, but I definitely wouldn't want to, especially like, I'm okay benching with a 45 pound bar. Um, I wouldn't like deadlifting with a stiff bar, but I. You definitely don't want to fucking squat with a 45 pound bar. I do not want to squat with a short 45 pound bar. Fuck all that. Yeah, so no thanks. I'm sure he's just posing a hypothetical just. Oh, sure. Just it, to poke we, the bear because he we, knows I don't like band shirts. We have a few of those coming up, so. Yes. Um, at. P.S. Stein, 1995, asks, what's the history behind the deadlift bar? Um, that's a good question. I don't know that I have the answer. I could ask Ricky Del Crane. I believe he claims he is one of the first people to design a specific deadlift bar with the Oki deadlift bar. But it would be an interesting question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, another you know, kind of related question would be the history of the squat bar. Mm-hmm. Um, from my understanding and talking to Ernie Franz, Dave Passanella, who famous lifter, was the first one to come out with the Passanella squat bar, mm-hmm. which was the first 55-pound squat bar, famously because Passanella said, you know, the 45-pound bar whips and whips and whips when he would squat, you know, up to 1,000 pounds. Sure, so, which, which it does. Uh, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the, I have an old Franz 55-pound squat bar that is thicker but not longer. Mm. So it has a uh, a thicker, you know, bar to it and it has thicker and wider sleeves it actually is very that was the first squat bar that i owned um and it's actually very stiff as far as just a 55 pound bar i would say it is less whippy than a longer 55 pound bar interesting um but i i like i personally like the bulldog or the 65 30 Mm -hmm. kilo squat bar the best that actually might be an interesting episode is the history of the specialty 
bars in competition. Um, don't, don't know if there's enough meat on that bone, but I would be interesting to look into. Yeah, it would is. be interesting to look into because I, I know there's some history with the deadlift bar. I mean, the, the bench bar is something that's very, very relatively recent. Yeah. Um, yeah. At History of Strength Sports, who, by the way, if you don't follow them, go and follow them. They have amazing content and really, really solid stuff. With powerlifting being one of the younger strength sports, what do you guys think the future holds for powerlifting? What will the sport look like in, say, 50 years? So don't want you to start with that. Um, that's an interesting question because, I mean, as this, the sport is barely 50 years old now, depending right. on when it really started. I mean, it, it was going in the 50s and 60s, probably really got organized in the 70s yeah. and really got up and running in the early 80s. Um, so it's 40, 50 years old. So let's think about how much different is the sport now than when it started. Well, obviously the equipment that people wear is different, and mm-hmm. that was starting to exist in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's vastly different. Um, the bars are different, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of you know certain organizations that only use 45-pound bars. Gold standard. Uh, you know the equipment that we use, even in the IPF, is you know the ERX are obviously well, uh, you know, advanced from. You know, uh, Fred Clary talking about, you know, squat stands with, uh, <laughs> tires, on with tires on them and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, but I wouldn't say that it's vastly different mm-hmm. now versus then. I mean, even with, when I've been in the sport in 20 years, I wouldn't say it's, it's really that much different. I mean, monoliths and canvas squat suits have been around the entire time I've been in the sport. The bench shirt has tra- changed quite a bit. Um, I think the sport will continue to go in ebbs and flows for the next 50 years. There'll probably be rises of equipment, and then there'll probably be downturns of powerlifting. We're kind of in a rising tide in general right Mm now. Um, But I would say there'll probably be another valley in the next 50 years and maybe a return to almost all raw lifting, and then there might be another rise to equip lifting. I think it'll kind of go back and forth for the next 50 years or so. I think there's at least the plausibility that there will be a time in the next 50 years where powerlifting will get even bigger and maybe get some, I don't even know if it'll be TV, because who knows if TV will even be a thing in 50 years. It might all be internet streaming on your device or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think there's a plausibility that there could be a a time when powerlifting gets very popular for a time. Um, I don't know that it'll be, you know, a, a big spectator sustained sport like a football or basketball. But I could see it getting to, you know, a level maybe similar to. I don't even know if it would be as big as CrossFit because that such has such a wide appeal. Mm-hmm. But uh, to that type of you know niche, maybe whatever televised means in twenty, thirty, forty years, popular. Sure. I mean, my feeling is that I mean, obviously, with all these you know l- early twenty-year-old you know raw boys doing everything they can to you know make powerlifting great. Obviously, powerlifting will be the premier sport on the planet, thanks to all these Instagram followers these fuckers have. Uh, I, I joke, obviously, but no, I, I agree with that. I think there's going to be some ebbs and flows. There is going to be, you know, us, every sport is cyclical. Every single one is. I don't believe that powerlifting cycle is ever going to get to the level of an NBA and NFL. Nothing like that. There is not the universal appeal of just sitting there watching you know, large humans pick up large objects. It just, it just is not there. Um, but I do think it is going to continue to gain popularity. Uh, and do I believe there will be a universal, like, powerlifting league or federation? No, there's not. Uh, I would love to see it, but it's just not going to happen. Uh, 
especially here in the United States. But I do believe that it, there will be plenty of ebbs and flows. There will be some valleys where you're going to see a, a low in power lifting. But overall, I think it will continue to be bigger and bigger when you look at, you know, say like decade over decade. It will continue to grow and grow throughout the next 50 years. Okay. At Aggie09TX with another question, thoughts mm-hmm. on the power pole. Are you familiar with the power pole, Mr. Bain? I am. I Trust me, I know all about the power pole. Uh, you know, it's one of those interesting apparatus. I would not mind trying in training. Uh, you know, there is one up at uh, Wolfpack Barbell, and I'm, I'm uh, probably going to incorporate that into my training here is uh, get ready for my first multiply meet. But, I mean, I guess I my thoughts are it, it's cool, and I like that it, you know, works on certain things with respect to my favorite lift, which is a squat. Uh, but as far as, like, you know, good, bad, or different, I guess I'm indifferent to it. Yeah, I've never tried one. It'd be interesting to try one. I mean, if Chuck Volgopol uses it, I mm-hmm. mean, Chuck Volgopol's a freak, so there must be something to it. Yeah. Um, All his power came from the pole. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's probably a nice thing to have, but not something you need. Yeah, I d- uh, agreed 100%. Definitely a nice to have, not a need to have. At T. Les Bloomfield, Compare and contrast conjugate, 531, linear periodization, Bulgarian, etc. This is not a question. Uh, Timor, that wasn't a question. That was no. just the statement. And we've actually done an episode on this, I believe. Yeah, we have one. Uh, now, we didn't really talk about Bulgarian, which is just like, you know, high volume, high frequency training yeah. um, with a lot of Bulgarian supplements. Just read Super Training, you'll get all that stuff. No problem. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I wouldn't suggest Timor read Super Training. <laughs> Maybe you could start with Westside Book of Methods. Um, you know, I, I guess, again, we did a whole episode on this, but in short, um, I think everything has its place. And then, uh, you know, you have to pick a program that fits with your situation. For some people, 531 works well if you train by yourself and you're mm-hmm. starting out. Um, I think linear periodization has been shown to work very well. Um, I think conjugate obviously works. Um, mm-hmm. It has to be... Uh, as with any program, it does have to be customized to what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would advise against uh, programs like a Bulgarian program for most lifters. Yeah, I would agree with that. At Neil Stewart, 83, is Sir Alex Ferguson the greatest football manager in history? Can I answer that first? Sure. Nobody cares about soccer! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Okay. At Milliken Jacks asks, what is your favorite post-weight cut food to eat immediately after weight cut and for dinner that night? Um, you know, I, I don't cut weight, so I'm not answering this. Um, you have cut weight before, though. Not, not doing that shit anymore. I learned my lesson. Sure. Um, I would say if you follow the reconstitution plan that I recommend, you actually don't eat immediately. You should drink only to rehydrate. Mm-hmm. But my, my first meal, I like to be a PB&J. I love PB&Js, and especially when I'm cutting weight, I'm definitely not eating PB&Js. Fair. So that's a good one for me for my first, like, food. Mm-hmm. Um, for dinner that night, I would say probably my go-to is is pizza um, because, again, if I've been cutting weight for a while, I'm probably not eating that type of thing. Sure. But I could get down with a couple different – I mean, I could get down with other kinds of Italian. I could get down I, with – I fuck with a steak every every night before meat. Yeah, I could get down with a steak with, uh, you know – some high carby sides. That's the whole thing when you oh, yeah. when you're trying to put weight back on. I mean, you definitely want protein, but you you definitely need those carbs Dude, st- to, re- steak, to refill the glycogen. Steak, mac and cheese, and uh, mashed potatoes all yeah. day, Sounds all good. fucking day. Sounds good. 
At Jackaroni and Cheese asks, <laughs> what is the most regrettable powerlifting gear or piece of equipment you purchased? That I've purchased? I would say Monster Minivans. What? Yeah. Well, at least my left arm would say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> what um, about you, man? Um, man, that's a, that's a challenging one. Um, I bought a bench shirt from Ricky Del Crane. It was like a prototype experimental one that I've never been able to fit into. Gotcha. Um, and I think like, I don't even know if baby Marissa could fit into it. Yikes. I mean, it's that small. And like, he told me I couldn't return it cause it was a prototype, but I'm like, this thing doesn't fucking fit me. Yeah. So somewhere back in the emporium of gear, I have a crane bench shirt that I paid yeah. probably 150 bucks for that. Actually, you know who might fit into it would be Lily Bain. Shut she, the front door. I, she might be the only one that could fucking fit into it. Ooh, Nolan might be able to. And he's got that big arch, too. We, I would love to see that. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can dig it out. I got yeah. it somewhere back in so there. So we can get them in there. It's literally never been used. Awesome. Um, I think it's a similar material to the Ray Jax, and that was around okay. the time that material started to come out. Gotcha. At Ben Stone asks, if you could magically add 30 pounds to your total, how would you distribute it? All one lift, between two, or between three. Uh, I'm adding to my squat, period. <laughs> squat um, fucking rocks, so that's where, it, that's where it's going. Yeah, it, that's a difficult question because, yeah, I would love to have a bigger squat. Um, I don't think you need it on your deadlift, sir. Yeah, I, yeah, but I, if we're thinking more practically, I guess I would probably want it. I probably sh- should need to add it to my deadlift because – from the perspective of a competition standpoint, mm-hmm. it's better to have a bigger deadlift rather than less because if you're talking about if you're actually competing against somebody, when changing attempts, you're advantaged if you deadlift after them. Yes. Um, meet strategy is something we haven't talked about a lot. And I ha- I, I've had a couple instances where I have had direct competition where we're actually like, like really close to each other mm-hmm. and going down to the last deadlift. Um, I've had a couple of clients where I have changed attempts Mm -hmm. for that reason. That would be an interesting one to kind of dive into as far as like lay out some scenarios in which changing attempts in the deadlift and the strategy in which you might have to employ. That may be a good freestyle episode. Just like not not a whole lot of notes. Just like just go for it. Sure. The only thing is that's so like there's so nuanced. There's yeah. and, And I'd have to really think about it and break it down because like even when i do it the logic behind changing attempts and like you have to think about what the other lifter might do right and like why you can change your first attempt once and your second attempt twice yep. like if they miss their second and then they change their their third one and then they change it again after you changed yours like, yeah. yeah it's a lot there's a lot there yep at bane's beard superior asks, beard what is more impressive taking second in a competition or taking first uncontested so that's a great question and i'm glad my beard asked that um, so I guess the, the one caveat I'll have on there is, you know, is it only two people in the competition? In which case, uh, no, I'd say first uncontested is, uh, but generally speaking, let's assume second in a group of we'll more, five, than, more than five. two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in that case, I would say taking second. And the only reason I say that is even though, yes, you know, if you ain't first or last, I get that. Uh, when you're going uncontested, you can kind of just hit cruise control. I know, you know as well as Lily may have done at, you know, multiple meets that she's done, generally speaking, she's the only one in her weight class most times. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, we can go on cruise control if we so desire. And so I do like the concept of whether you're in your weight class and you're competing against others, or if you're in the position that you may be able to take best lifter, I I think that's a really cool thing. And so be able to take second in either one of those, you know, whether it's your weight class or the best lifter category, I think is more impressive than if you're just by yourself. Uh, Stone, what do you think? 
I would agree with that. Um, I've had a couple times where uh, at uh, APF Seniors, and I think it was 2005 in Detroit, and I was maybe about 10 people, and I took sixth, mm-hmm. and I was very close to getting fifth, which would have gotten me at least like a little tiny medal. They did medals all the way down to five because mm-hmm. there was such deep uh, competition at that meet. So and I felt pretty good about what I, what I did there um, versus other meets where it's like, you know, yeah, I've, I was the only one in my category. Mm-hmm. I probably felt better about placing sixth than at other meets where I placed first. Hey, so there you go. At Eric's old Franz briefs asks, uh, best place powerlifting has taken you and the worst. Um, I would say the best place powerlifting has taken me is the meeting my wife, Jackie. There you go. Um, I would say if we're talking about a physical place, I think going to Manchester, England is probably the coolest place that powerlifting has taken me. Yeah. Um, those two are, are, are pretty cool. Um, the worst place powerlifting has taken me. Um, I would say, uh, it wasn't directly powerlifting, but I was doing extra work for powerlifting would be tearing my hamstring on my 21st birthday out in the track at Elmhurst college <laughs> and then hobbling back to my dorm and sulking and not even going out on my 21st birthday. That was pretty terrible. Yikes. No fun. Uh, I say best place again, physical place uh, agreed Manchester. One of the best trips ever. Uh, worst. That one's tough. So I enjoyed the meat itself there, but Idaho Falls is a shithole. And I'm sorry if we got listeners up there. Like, your town sucks. I've been to the Walmart. I've seen the lady walking out who's pregnant, smoking, has a baby in one hand, another kid in the other, you know, walking. Like, it's just a white trash shithole. Um, so that's probably the worst, like, place. Uh, aside from then, you know, of course, getting injured myself last year. So that was a pretty terrible place I was in, too. But um, actual physical location, yeah, Idaho Falls. Yeah, I guess if I had to think about physical location, um, man, I would say I stayed at a Knights Inn for about $35 a night at some yikes, some boofoo town in, in Ohio with Jackie when I did a bench meet. Um, and it was like at a bar. Um, <laughs> I actually did pretty well on the meet what, as far as what, bench What went. did you learn? Uh, <laughs> I learned that I was poor, Bane, and I couldn't afford anything else. <laughs> And I was like, hey, it wasn't that bad, Jackie. And whenever we pass a night's in, Jackie always brings that up to me. You it had was, me stay at a night's in. It wasn't a night's in. It was some similarly very cheap hotel I had to stay in on the way to my very first like trucking and logistics conference. For whatever reason, the, there was a miscommunication on when we were getting into town. And the, like, the vendor that was br- bringing us in was like, oh, yeah, we only got you guys rooms for Friday and Saturday night. And like, dude, we're getting down there in like an hour. And, yeah, it, there's 23,000 people at this conference. Like, you're not going to get a room in, in Louisville where we're at. So we stayed about uh, probably 45 minutes north of there. And we basically had a days in and some, like, local, like, hotel. We're like, yeah, we'll go to the local hotel. We'll save a little bit of money. On, you know, it's going to get reimbursed by the company, so it's fine. Uh, we're in checking in, and there's some woman with probably four teeth talking to the innkeeper. And he was not from America. Uh and she kept yelling, like screaming, I can't understand what you're saying. And he was trying to explain to her like where the ice machine was, which was literally right behind her. And so he finally like walks out from behind and passed the ice machine on the the top and says, This, you know, this is the ice machine. And he says, just push the button and the ice will come out. So she's pushing the GE logo for I kid you not, like three or four minutes trying to get ice to come out. Instead of the button that is Right next to it with the ice symbol 
and the down button that says the ice is coming from underneath it. Yikes. Yeah, uh, that's a terrifying, not powerless related, but similar horrifying hotel story. Uh, there might be some good Bane travel stories we can Oh, I can get some great travel stories. <laughs> getting, getting told by this, the head of my division at a certain tech company based in San Francisco to, quote, party our customers into the ground. Yikes. Yep. $3,000 later. At Front Desk Techs <laughs> asks, what historical lift would you have liked to seen in person and why? Ooh. Well, you know what? I'll be honest. I've seen... My favorite historical lift in person. I had the best seat in the house, and that was Leah Reichman's 880 squat. Okay. Uh, what about one that you haven't seen in person? That I haven't seen in person. I would want to see Fred Hatfield's squat where they – I don't want to be there in person where they pulled the ER racks away from him. I, would, squats, I just want to see They were squat stands. Squat stands, whatever the fuck you want to call them. Yeah. I would have wanted to see that in person. I think I just think that'd be so cool. Just, I would have loved to to watch the crowd's reaction when they pulled those away and like, wait, what? What the fuck's going on? Like, I just I wanted to, I would have loved to see that in person. I would have liked to have seen Ernie Franz's eight twenty or whatever squat it was when he was sixty three. That, that was cool. not that far away from when I started in the sport because he was probably in his late sixties when I started. Mm-hmm. But just for selfless reasons, I would have loved to have been around to see Ernie's, you know, famous. Uh, squat at 63 yeah um i think similarly i would have liked to have been there for some of the hawaii record breaker meets i'm not sure that i have any specific lifts but just to be at hawaii and be at those meets yeah. i mean to see fred hadfield do one of the first thousand pound squats you know to see ernie franz compete with the youngins and his yeah. i don't know at that point probably 50s or or, um, or to see ed cohen in his heyday I would have yeah, that's that. the other one that comes to mind is to see at the meet where ed cohen did uh 901 squat at at, uh, was it 198 or 220? I think it was 198. Yeah, uh, whatever. Uh, to see that, you know, that some of the big lifts from Ed mm-hmm. Cohen because he's just such a, a technically sound lifter. Yes, agreed. Had Bobby's injured leg. What is, who was Bobby? Who is this? Crackhead Bobby from France. Oh, Crackhead Bo- ah, Bobby's injured leg. What is the greatest lesson you've learned from powerlifting? Hmm. Um, I would say the greatest lesson I've learned is patience. Oh, um, that's good. Because, you know, powerlifting is not something where overnight you're going to get strong. And that's one of the reasons why I like powerlifting as a sport is because, you know, you work hard a long time. You put a lot of effort in. You put a lot of miles in. And you can demonstrate on that on the platform, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of a long-term type of plan. And it it's not something where you can just overnight, you know, you can't squat 800 pounds overnight. It's true. You know, it, it's built a brick at a time. And uh, I'd say patience is probably the number one thing that I've learned. For me, uh, patience is a great one. And I want to say it's probably in my top three. It, this is an analogy, and I hope it makes sense, is keep a big cafeteria, but keep your table small. So there are a lot of people in powerlifting, and they're great people. But just understand that very few people actually have your best interest in mind. One of them is going to be your coach if you have one. Anything that you – and for those that have coaches, hear this very clearly. Anything, any piece of advice, anything you see on the internet, whatever, that you feel may help you, run it by them. Especially you young folks, run it by them. Timor. Didn't want to say it, but yeah, Timor, this is for you too. Your coach is the one who is, who is the architect. They're the one building all this shit. So they may already have something in mind for whatever it is that you saw Larry Wheels doing. So you know what? 
maybe check with them on you know some of those things. The other thing as well is a lot of folks from afar want to see you do well. But then when you get close to them, you realize they don't actually want to see you do well. They want to be able to talk about you when you fail. So, and that's just a good life advice. Big cafeteria, small table. Okay. So, uh, at Big Powerlifter wants to know training philosophies for both Eric and Bane. Uh, move fast and break things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, I, which I've already done, obviously. Yeah, I don't know how good of a training philosophy that is then. <laughs> you know what you do. <laughs> Um, you know, if you want to know my training philosophy, you go back on chicagopowerlifting.com. I wrote basically an mm. article 20 years ago called The Turtle and the Hare. Yeah. I would recommend being the turtle, not the hare. There, I mean, there's a lot of hares out there right now. Yeah. I mean, that's been my philosophy for 20 plus years. And granted, I'm probably not going to be any kind of all-time world record holder. I'll be a, a pretty, pretty good lifter above average at certain times. Um, but... I but will, you'll also be lifting into your 60s and 70s. Right. I'm, I'm going to stick around for a long time, and the lifters that I coach, if they want to, typically stick around a long time as well because mm-hmm. uh, we take gains slowly. We try to teach good movement patterns and uh, good foundational strength, uh, good technique. And I one of the things that I thought was one of the best compliments I received at APF Nationals was not, hey – your lifters were the strongest at the meet, but hey, your lifters were very technically sound when they yep. were on the platform. Very consistent. They knew what they were doing. They knew the commands. They knew the rules. Um, they looked, you know, technically very uh, efficient and sound on the platform. And that's something that uh, I think I've told this story before when I took Jackie Stone and then Jackie Evan to one of her first meets. I mean, there were some really terrible squats and I had her actually face the other direction mm-hmm. as to not watch them. Cause it was like knees in chest forward, Yikes. like, like very bad. And a lifter came up to Jackie and said, you know, you really had great form. You could tell that you're a Franz lifter. Yeah. And it was like, wow. Like that was like, Jack, I think that was like the best compliment Jackie could ever gotten. Cause yeah. she's like, you know, she, not, to be fair, Jackie and I never used the Franz high bar, more upright we were a little bit more of the low bar morosher a little bit of lean mm-hmm. but we definitely had that you know wider stance knees out you know s- keeping a consistent torso position squat that would have been uh and and still is uh, a hallmark of franz or the franz legacy style lifters gotcha i i will say like my actual training philosophy is it is based around asking questions uh i would say that while I have employed a coach or someone to kind of guide me throughout my entire uh, career of powerlifting. I highly recommend asking why. And that is, so if I have to build any training philosophy, it's around asking why. As long as I understand the reason why we're doing certain things, I have no problem doing them. And so I would encourage anybody as you're developing your own philosophy, ask questions, ask why. How is important. It's good to know how and know what buttons to push. It's really important to know why you're pushing and why you're pushing that order. I do agree with asking questions because I've always been somebody that asks lots of questions. Mm-hmm. I would say there is a certain point when it's like, just shut up and do what you're asked to do. Now, you, may, you may ask questions and still do that, but there is a certain point when it's like, you know, just sometimes if you have a coach that you've hired and paid mm-hmm. and, and you believe in them, sometimes you just have to trust them and just assume that they either know more than you do or that they know more about what they want to do with you than you do. 
at Wisconsin's best bench never. <laughs> Would you rather fight one Bane-sized Eric or a hundred Eric-sized Banes? I mean, I'm not like granted, I'm smaller than Bane, but I'm not that much smaller than Bane. And so I would definitely rather fight one Bane-sized Eric because just from sheer like, like volume of people and hands and feet, mm-hmm. 100's a lot. And I'm just going to say this. Eric is a little more controlled from a mentality standpoint than I am. I don't think anybody wants to deal with, I don't care how big they are, 100 people like me. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. It could be like you're just having a, a party. No one wants to deal with a hundred fucking me's. Yeah. So yeah, fight one main size Eric, hundred <laughs> percent. At Austin Cook says grip tips. Well, that's not a question. Sure. Um, grab things. Uh, if we we're going to answer the actual question of working the grip, um, I would say from a training perspective, any kind of carries are great. Farmers walks, suitcase carries, farmers holds, but lots of weighted carries and walks. Um, the other thing I would say is work on the technique of your grip, whatever it is, whether it's hook or whether it's over under, you know, work on actually locking in the fingers so much as just on the deadlift. I'm not as much of a, a fan of super squeezing because sometimes then what you'll do is you'll, you'll flex the wrist. So making sure to keep the wrist straight, it's a a technical thing. Um, it's probably about it for grip. I mean, just grab things, hold them. Hold them tight. Okay. Like the deadlift bar. Hold that fucker tight. Don't drop the damn thing. Why you do that? Why you drop that? Why, why you do this? <laughs> At Bigwood Powerlifting, most embarrassing moment in or out of powerlifting? Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, if we're talking out of powerlifting, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, out of powerlifting. Uh, yeah, knocking up my side piece. There, There's one. Um, <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> I married her, so it's fine. Uh, in powerlifting... think of a good one where like I actually was embarrassed uh I can't really think of one honestly uh bombing at the Olympic training center uh at the AAU meet I did in oh so are you the reason why powerless is not the Olympics <laughs> probably thanks yeah. a lot Eric Stone yeah that was pretty damn embarrassing um out of powerlifting dear freaking lord <laughs> I don't <laughs> know if flipping I... a table and telling Jackie your full strength and anger that wasn't really embarrassing. It was more just a good story. That's hilarious. It's more funny. just a good story. I wasn't embarrassed. <laughs> um, there's probably a lot of embarrassing moments, and I, I'll, I'll just stick with my powerlifting one. Yeah. Um, at powerlifting twin one underscore s for Bane. Now that you've been in beer or gear, not well, also beer. Mm, now that you've beer. been in gear, what are your preferences for companies? Uh it's a great question. Uh Initially getting into it, I, I mean, I liked the Franz Brees as like my my entry. It was just something to get used to. Once I got a pair of Predators that fit, I really liked those, and I, I enjoyed just you know getting to to learn them. Uh, having a pair of custom over bombs is uh is nice. Not gonna lie, they, they are a good set of briefs. Uh, good quality. They have a different learning curve. I'll say that. Um, so if I have a preference, if I'm just gonna go fuck around, I would say Inzer. If I truly want to get the most out of every piece of equipment that I've got, I'm probably would say overkill. Also with the caveat knowing that there's a very fine edge that I have to run with that. High risk, high reward. Very, very much so. And so I do think that it's good quality equipment, but I think with the margin of error that I probably need early on, uh, Inzer is probably my preference. 
also have not tried anything Titan yet. Uh, I think that's basically the only major ones that matter at this point. So, um, so reserve any opinion on on Titan. But uh, yeah, I do love my uh, my Overkill bracelet. They are very nice. Well, even though the question was for Bane, I'll say I like Enter now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's most of what I use. I actually liked Metal for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked my old Metal Bash Bencher. I actually say as a as like a. Did, did the list feel more racist when you lifted? <laughs> yeah. I would say as like a good starter point for bench shirts, like the metal bash bench shirt, open back, double ply is actually a good bench shirt to start mm-hmm. in. The only problem is if you have big arms and you not have long finish arms, it can choke the shit out of your, your arm opening. You would that, really have a lot of trouble fitting into that. That, that is, is my issue with the overkill shirt. I will say that. That's why I'll probably stick with an SDP for now. Yeah, the SDP has looser sleeves, mm-hmm. which is way more comfortable. Because, I, I mean, even though I've lost it away, my arms are still bigger than most and so it's sure. not not um, optimal i mean i've not used a lot of titan i used to use a titan uh suit for deadlifting which i liked mm-hmm. um i you can probably be successful in any type of gear at the end of the day it's kind of asking like what's the best car or what's the best you know uh, what's the best knee wrap or what's the best shoe i mean it, it's going to be a personal preference the, and the one where you're able to perform optimally yeah i mean at, at a certain point it's personal preference and mm-hmm. then optimizing that yeah like I said, it, it, I, I do like my Overkill Breeze. I'll say it. Now, this is also with the caveat I have not tried on or com- tested out any squat suits yet. Okay. I think an LUP is probably in my future, but you never know. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably a decent starting point. And it's a good place. I mean, obviously, high-level lifters use it as well. Mm-hmm. I, having gone back to my Jenny suit a couple weeks ago and then put the LUP on the next week, the major advantage is that adjustability, is yeah. that you could probably – put it on moderate and you could get a little bit out of it. And then, cause there is a big transition from being just in briefs to then like you add, you're like, Oh man, I, I feel like I'm squatting pretty good in these briefs. Mm-hmm. And then you put the fucking suit on and you're like, Holy shit. And then you put the straps up and you feel like your world has I mean, been I'm, turned fucking I'm still figuring down. out fucking wraps, so there's still a ways to go here. <laughs> yeah, you put the straps up on the squat suit, and you feel like your whole world's been turned upside down. Sweet. So that's the major advantage to the LUP is that, you know, you can put it on and get a feel and get a little bit of extra from the canvas, but not be so tight that it feels like your entire head's going to explode like a pimple. Sweet. So at Aggie09TX, a lot of good questions. If you had to never do one of the power lifts again... Which would it be? Oh, that's fucking easy. Deadlifts. Bench. <laughs> what? Bench? Yeah, it's, it, I prefer squatting than pulling. Okay, yeah. Fucking easy deadlift. I actually talked about, Jackie Stone and I talked years ago about doing a an SOB meet or federation, squat or bench. Oh, you crazy SOBs, you. I think Ernie Franz actually ran a squat deadlift meet once at his gym that I judged at. It was hmm. just squat and deadlift, no bench. Interesting. Uh, that a, he lifted. And probably a sod meet? Probably because he couldn't bench anymore, so he said, let's do squat deadlift. Yeah, why not? Fuck it. At T Shoop underscore strong asks, thoughts on the U.S. Open? Nope. Don't care. Um, I mean, I'll say this. If they actually gave the prize money that they said, that's impressive. Um, it sounded like they did because Chad Penson was out buying a bunch of appliances with it. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of money. I, I, I guess I would ask, like, is that going to be sustainable? Like, here's the reason. here's the reason that – sponsors will give prize money or will give money towards sports. Mm -hmm. They feel they get a return on that investment. Mm -hmm. And so, and I don't, it's the Kern individual and his company that's been giving a lot, a a big 
majority of the money. Yep. Now, maybe he's just got unlimited money and he just wants to see powerlifting succeed. But at a certain point, even somebody that wants to see powerlifting succeed, like if you're not getting a return on that investment and you're a guy that's made a lot of money, you got to look at dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. And if I'm giving $100,000 in prize money for a meet, like am I seeing not just that $100,000 back in whatever – but am I seeing more than that? Because, because if, aside from the current U.S. Open, I don't see Kern on literally anything else powerful related. Sure. And Kern's the name. But, like, what does Kern right. sell? Right. Can I go buy something that Kern sells or a service or a product? Yeah. And, no and, and if you just want to spend your money on something, hey, that's you're more than welcome to do that. But the reason that— Maybe he's paying know, for other services rendered. But the reason that, say, Sprint put their name on the you know Sprint Cup in NASCAR— mm-hmm is because that name is plastered everywhere, and they felt that they got a return on that investment. They got people went out and bought Sprint phones and right. got Sprint service because they were NASCAR fans and they heard the name. Right. That's the reason why you know Guaranteed Rate put their name on Comiskey Field mm-hmm. or Comiskey Park, whatever, because they felt, hey, now people are going to know Guaranteed Rate and they're going to go out and buy our services. Sure. And, and granted, that's not the same as prize money, but, I mean, obviously in Major League Baseball – but the you know, buying naming rights still goes towards the pot. Then. Right. That goes. It's not prize money. That goes towards salaries. Right. And, I mean, we're, we're at an entirely different business model with prize money versus salaries. But it's the same concept. Like, if I'm giving money, that eventually will be given to the performers, the talent. You know, I'm only giving that money because I think I'm going to get money back. Right. Because return it, on investment and multiples of that. Right. It's not just getting your money back. It's getting more. Right. That's why companies advertise. They don't advertise because they just want to give money to the NBA or just as a charity. Maybe they do that in local markets for the local football team. Like, hey, it's Goodwill. I can I can write it off as an advertising. Chicago has this minor league team that plays down a soldier. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Right. But the reason why people put (laughs) big money out there is because we feel that if we spend a million dollars, that's going to help lead to two million dollars in sales. Exactly. And And so so until powerlifting gets to the point where spending money on powerlifting as a sponsor, as, you know, an advertiser, as a, you know, a prize money title sponsor brings that much money back plus more. In a return investment, you're not going to see sustained prize money like the U.S. Open or any event mm-hmm. um, in the long term. Agreed. At Lisa Lifts. I believe it's Lisa. Oh, at Lisa underscore Lifts. How do you gauge the jump from seconds to thirds? I assume she's talking about attempts. Correct. Uh, for me, it's what a shit show seconds end up being. If it moves fast, I'm willing to get a slightly bigger jump on uh, on my third. My preference is usually a big jump from first to second and a much smaller jump from second to third. And so basically I'm determining, am I going to go, we'll call it, uh, to use numbers, 10 kilos from second to third, or we're going to go only five? Or like, was it a pretty big shit show? Let's go two and a half. That's also something to put on the cards. Again, I, it's going to be based on feel. Also, it is going to be based on what the hell's going on at the meet. If I'm at like a big money meet, Squat, I'll probably be willing to take a little more risk, but as we get closer towards the end, I'm going to be playing it by ear and understanding where I'm sitting in the standings. Yeah, I guess the short answer is it depends. Um, I always, I mean, she didn't ask about first, but I always start a little bit lighter with the opener, something, Mm -hmm. you know, I can get, I think you use the analogy, something you can get when you're hungover. Yep. Um, I'm I'm used to that. 
<laughs> so I usually take a bigger jump from my first to my second than my mm -hmm. second to my third. Mm -hmm. If an opener is something I can triple in, a second is something I'm confident in, but something that's I'm I've done usually, or either that or it is a small, like a five, 10 pound PR, mm -hmm. if I think I can get it. And then second or third, like you said, Mr. Bain, it's often a feel. How did the second look? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what was the bar speed like? Uh, where am I at in my competition? Is it something where I could attempt a record? Right. Uh, do I have any competition? Is it a local meet? Is it a national meet? Is it a world meet? So there's a lot of variables that go into that. But as a general rule of thumb, second is a small meet PR. Third is a PR for the day. There you go. Good rule of thumb. At BHAP7029, any dates in mind for your first equipped meet? I assume My, this is for you. I would assume this is for me as well. Uh, current plan is the Midwest Equipped Open right here at 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois. The Excellent. Lombard meet, if you will. Excellent. That will be, I believe, we have it projected for... December 12th, I believe. The second 11, weekend in December, somewhere around there. So, yep. Uh, yeah, very excited about that. There is a chance, maybe one before that, but as of now, that is the, uh, the plan based on the meets I've committed to working, uh, as well as, you know, work schedule, kids and family and all that kind of fun stuff, so... Uh, that is the plan as a Midwest equipped. Uh, so I don't think that really has any bearing on you at all uh, as far as your first equipped meet because that was a while ago. <laughs> my first equipped meet was uh, 2000. <laughs> exactly. It's my first meet. Exactly. Uh, at Stace Mula asks, which is more exhausting, getting ready for a meet yourself or someone you're handling coaching? Um, I would say as far as getting ready, it's definitely getting ready for a meet myself. Mm -hmm. um, I would say at the meet itself, it's plausibly more exhausting handling somebody especially a geared lifter the, yes there is a and we've talked about i think this is a future episode talking about handling lifters at a meet raw mm -hmm. versus equipped competition versus no competition younger older mm -hmm. experience inexperienced yep. how it's handled in training um but handling an equipped lifter is a lot of fucking work especially when you're talking about wrapping knees Setting, uh, setting a suit, setting a bench shirt. Yeah, setting bench shirts, lace-up squat suits, changing in and out of gear if it's a quick-running meet. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say it's more exhausting to handle somebody, but as far as getting ready for the meet, um, I'd say it's more exhausting getting ready yourself. Yeah, I would say uh, having you know, gotten ready for raw meets, for me, it, it was always pretty simple. Um, you know, I, I went in with what I had, but I, yeah, def handling and coaching somebody, especially your child, oh, my God. One of the more, especially the first couple squats, if you don't know the, the the crew on the platform, not that I don't trust them because I trust our, all the meat directors in the APF do a good job selecting the spotters and loaders. No one can ever move fast enough when your kid's on the platform. Well, Period in the discussion. And I would say it's probably more nerve wracking when oh you're watching oh because, I mean, I, would, I don't think I've ever been hardly as nervous as I've been the first time I coached Jackie at a meet. And I think we were dating at the time, mm -hmm. but like, because you have no – once they're on the platform – No control. You have no control over it, and it is just like – it is so nerve-wracking because you can yell out cues, you can coach, you can, you know, center them. but They like still got to execute. At the end of the day, it's them and the bar on the platform. Yep. And that is as nerve-wracking as just about anything. Especially that first squat. Holy shit. You're not wrong there. Last one. At – Northern Midwest side, <laughs> who would win in a fight, Bane or a moderately sized black bear? Me uh, all day, black bear all fucking day. I win. Wrong. Do you? I don't know if this is like rumor or if this is like you know legend. Supposedly, the Hart family had a bear that mm -hmm. like stayed at their house that they would wrestle. Is this accurate? 
That is the legend I have, I have heard. A wrestling I, bear that you would have to wrestle. I don't know. At the dungeon. And it, we're talking about pro wrestling. You, if you, you know this thing has to be declawed if it's true. There's sure. no fucking way. Yeah, suppo- now we're, we're talking about pro wrestling here. A famous Canadian wrestling family, the Hart family. Mm-hmm. They own Stampede Wrestling. This is where Bret Hart came from. Stu Hart was the patriarch and the father. Mm-hmm. Owen Hart, who tragically died. Jim the Night Hart was a cousin. Or no, he was a brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Yep. Um, Davy Boy Smith, the British yep. Bulldog, married into the family. Um, there's a bunch of wrestlers. Ge- ge- generations of wrestlers. Right. Supposedly, they had a wrestling bear that like lived on the property or something. Something. <laughs> um, any other questions, Mr. Bain? Any questions that you've got? Uh, you know, we got a whole bunch of stuff from uh, the Wisconsin crew. I'm, Wisconsin. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read all this shit because there's just so many of these. Well, the just l- why don't you just throw I'll just, some? In, we'll, I'll just pepper you with these. We'll, we'll rapid fire, and I'll give very short answers. All right. Uh, how did deadlifting gear after getting 15 pounds? Uh, lose, lose the weight. Lose the weight. Yeah. Favorite single ply lifter in Eau Claire? Um. Uh. I would say at. Your female lifter at Geek Lifts. <laughs> and I, she may not even be single ply, but I'll put her at the top. Favorite single ply lifter for Wisconsin? <laughs> Same. <laughs> when will you join the Fair Life train? Um, you can answer that, Mr. Payne. Never. Uh, I've had Fair Life. It's fine. Maybe yeah. you guys should get a Fair Life sponsorship up there. There you go. Uh, Glossburner age coefficient is bullshit. True or false? Agree. 100% <laughs> agree. Uh was there any research behind it? Like, there's a certain point where, like, you get double the coefficient based on your age. Yeah. Here's my other problem with it. If I can go on a rant for a second, um, I, and this is the way the APF does it, and this is the way I've been told I have to do it. When you do overall awards for best lifters, that includes master's lifters, you have to include the master's coefficient. I strongly disagree with that because if it's a master's best lift reward, I totally agree with using the master's coefficient, even though. I don't know that there's any math or science or data behind these master's coefficients. I think if it's an overall best lifter award, it should be the top coefficient, the top gloss better. It should not include masters. It shouldn't matter if it's an overall award. If it's an overall award, it should be the person that has the best coefficient. There you go. Uh, my last question for you. Do you want arm wrestle? No. No, thank you. <laughs> Any questions for me? You've got longer arms uh, than me. and uh, 60 I think pounds on you. 60 pounds. Um, I would like to see you arm wrestle another man shirtless at the next meet that we go to. Maybe uh, at the WPO? Sure. Are there any WPO lifters out there who would like to uh, challenge Mr. Bain to an arm wrestling contest? At us, at Strength and Anger. I'll do it right now. Bob Merck, you want to take your shirt off with me? I'm sure that's a yes. Yep, sure it is too. Uh <laughs> I don't know that I have any good questions for you, Mr. Bain. I asked you a thousand times when you're going to squat 800. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to ask you that again. I'm going to go cry about something else now. Uh, well, let's ask you this, Mr. Bain. Um, so you're going to do your first equipped meet in December. Yep. Let's set some, you know, moderate ranges of goals that you're looking to do. Let's, let's preface this with your best raw lifts. Best uh, raw lifts in competition. 694, 402, and 705. Okay. Oh, I asked you how many times you're going to. Did I? Uh, 700. 700. Thanks, okay. Asshole. Oh, okay. I thought it was. Oh, yeah, I was giving you 100 more I pounds. Know. I know. 694, 402, and 705? Okay. Correct. So, what are some at least ranges of goals you'd like to do in an equip meet? What I want to do, I'm not going to throw out there just yet because I don't want to jinx Okay, well, let's set some like uh, realistic goals for the first meet. I'm not, not saying like long term. Nine, six, and seven. 
Okay, nine, six, and seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get a lot on the deadlift. No, I don't think um, so. But I, th- I think it'll be enough to get that seven. But I've touched 595 probably half a dozen times now. Okay. An LUP, an LUP doesn't even fit me. You mean and, an SDP? SDP, sorry. Uh, and then I, I believe nine is is very much there with the right training, learning the wraps and learning the soup. I okay. That's very much there. Okay. Well, with that, Mr. Bain, um, we have some interviews on the way. We do. Um, we're, we're trying to work on. We, we've got an episode we've talked about about handling lifters. And we'll probably oh. have something in the fairly near future in the run-up to the WPL. Yeah. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I guess you cannot do that on Spotify. Apparently not. Um, check out our merch store, link tree in the bio. Buy our shirts. And it, when you buy our shirts, take a picture and post on social media and tag us. We will repost it. We shall. Or put it in the stories and we'll restory it, I guess. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Hey, we'll buy the nobody cares about soccer shirt. You trust me, it is a great conversation starter because somebody is going to come up and tell you, my grandson plays soccer, and you can <laughs> scream at an old woman, no one fucking cares about soccer. <laughs> Uh, leave us feedback um, on our Instagram account. You can either, you know, obviously post comments on the actual posts, or you know, if you want to slide in our DMs, um, we usually get some pretty good feedback in the DMs from people. Um, you know, sometimes we get some of those uh, loose ends items on yep. things that we, you know, hadn't quite talked about. Oh, for for instance, uh, our girl Jem Lucas said yes. I think it was the two year anniversary recently that Andy Bolton did indeed have his kidney replacement. Ah, gotcha. Um, and I thought he had, but I just you know I know he had he was on dialysis, but yeah, I think she said they just came up around um, the two year anniversary. Um, Andy Bolton, one of, I would say one of the best. British lifters of all time. I mean, one De- of the best lifters of all time. And definitely one of the best deadlifters of all time, period. Well, Maybe the best deadlifter yeah. of all time. So, with that, Mr. Bain, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger. <laughs>